you're listening to Reviewing History, your comedy history podcast. I'm filmmaker and teacher Brian Rupert, joined here by... Anthony As always... Steve Blackbacker. And we have a guest here, Ant. You could do yes, the introduction. Yes, I'm very excited, very honored. We have the great sex bagel, Eric Nega. How are you, sir? <laughs> All right, none of that is correct, but okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> so for anybody who doesn't know, Iraq is a veteran of the radio business over 20 years, right? 28. 28. 28 Jesus. at this point, yeah. Where'd you get your start? Lying. <laughs> I started by lying. And That's how we got you. Lying. <laughs> I uh, I started in uh, in uh, in high school. Um, there was a, a station that was open. No, Long Island. <laughs> that is just a nasty rumor that I'll forever be haunted by Sam Roberts for saying that I grew up in Florida going to high school on a boat. So... That is a better story, but uh, alas, that is not the case. Uh, no, there was a, a local station that was opening up uh, not far from where I lived on Long Island. And uh, I guess my dad saw it in the paper and he goes, why, why don't you go over there and see if uh, they need anybody? Because that's not how radio works. But who knows? Right. So uh, at that time, it, I think it was like the last period of time where that would actually work, where you could walk into a radio station and figure out how to get an internship or a promotional gig or something, because now you can't even get into the door to talk to anybody. If there's even anybody left in the radio station nowadays, uh, I went in there and I just said, hey, look, uh, you know, I saw your opening. Do you need uh, interns, production people, promotions, whatever? And Were you a fan said, of? the radio business prior like as a kid oh yeah i've been a fan since like i was five years old mm -hmm. i was calling in uh i live in long island so you're hearing all i mean long island radio stations but you're getting new york city right there so you're getting the top of the industry broadcasting into my to my home every day and um i used to call this morning show called the z morning zoo which oh, was yeah. on, uh, on yeah. z100 here in new york city and uh, the host was name was Scott Shannon. So I used to call and I thought you had to be an adult. Like they were giving the phone <laughs> number out over the radio. So I'm like, oh, you could just call them. But everybody you hear is sounds like an adult. So I thought I had to lie and say I was an adult. So I would lie all the time and he would put me on and he'd be laughing. He's like, how That's old so. are you? And I just I'm making up stuff, you know, <laughs> trying to put car names together and things. And uh, so he would throw me on time to time. And then I got kind of got me hooked and i was always listening and uh yeah go fast forward to uh, 10 years later i walk into that radio station they hire me because they had nobody and um work there for a little bit and uh, i told them i was in college so you didn't and go to school for radio not a jealousy old man no, no i went to <laughs> i went to a school it doesn't matter where you go to school everyone says like oh i went to syracuse or i went to myu doesn't matter broadcasting television doesn't care about where you went to college you're wasting your money don't go to college so the connecticut um, school of broadcasting even a that's a, a better step in the door because look you're paying a few thousand i don't even know if they're still open anymore but you're paying a few thousand dollars they're giving you credit to get an internship and that gets you in the door and that's all you need mm -hmm. is once you have an internship then it's up to you to to do stuff uh to to make it work for yourself um yeah i told them i was in college and they went okay great and then didn't really check. I filled out paperwork and, and uh, this was before computers were running everything. You no know, mid 90s, 95. Right. And uh, then wound up going to another station on Long Island 
um, right after that internship was done, lied to them too, said I was in college. They gave me the paperwork. I never handed it in. I gave them the stuff that they needed. And I rode that out for a year. And then, well, I mean, I went from there. I got a job at uh, NBC in New York. I got a job at WPLJ in New York for uh, doing promotions and stuff for uh for that station and then it just kept snowballing into the next gig the next gig so it started on a lie and it's probably going to end on a lie too at some point (laughs) were you a stern fan growing up i wasn't until i think i was like because i wasn't allowed to listen i didn't know of him until because i was a kid so i didn't know of him until like till the end of the end of the 80s when he started was was a morning zoo guy scott shannon yeah yeah, he was a morning. He, he's the guy who invented the format. Right. Like he, he, everything people like to joke about the morning zoo shit. When he did it, it wasn't a joke. Mm-hmm. Everybody else who copied him watered it down and and made it total. Can we curse on here? Yeah, Absolutely. oh yeah, uh, uh, made it total shit. So that's why it became a joke. But the guy who originated it, and and this other guy, John Lander, who also you know um, worked with him and perfected it in uh, in Houston and stuff. They were the guys who made that format what it was. Everyone else copied it and, and you know, they shit the bed with it. So that's why it, be, it became one of the biggest uh, punchlines in the industry. Oh, you're doing Morning Zoo Radio. Well, it wasn't that way at first. You know, a lot of morning uh, morning shows now still borrow from that format. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't understand that they do or don't realize that they do. They still borrow elements from what that show created and uh, use it today. Um, but for Stern, I didn't. I knew of him in the late '80s because he started to get syndicated. I'd see in the papers um, about him fighting with DeBella in Philadelphia because that was his first affiliate. <laughs> right. And then I think Washington was his next thing, and that was a big ordeal because then he was on Larry King and and all the mm-hmm. news shows and stuff. But I didn't get really a chance to listen to him until I think I was like 12 or 13 when I started to listen to him. He was already on a handful of stations, and it was. Jackie and then Billy West and Stuttering John, you know, that thing. The and then I'd listen era. to him. Yeah, the the classic era. And I used that's when I listened to him. Was still listening to um Morning Zoo in, in New York. I was also at a young age listening to a man named Bob Grant, who was on WABC. He was a conservative talk radio host, got in a lot of trouble for a lot of the things he said. But my grandfather listened to him. So anytime I was in the car, that guy was on the radio in the uh-huh. afternoon. So unbeknown I, I i wound up listening to this guy not knowing who he was till later i go oh that's the guy my grandfather used to listen to <laughs> and then you see him like he's on the front uh, cover of every paper in the country because of uh he's making off-color comments about colored people <laughs> you know and just going on and you're like oh my god this guy's a problem uh, and at I that moment up- you swore i would never work with someone who does that again <laughs> yeah <laughs> never will i ever put myself in a position to be yes what brian is alluding to is iraq is the power behind the throne yeah i will never be part of an organization that's fired three times nationally and on the bbc (laughs) and worldwide and all that stuff and never yes so you are most famous for being the producer and i believe executive producer for a time and i ran their channel and everything channel manager and all that for at satellite yeah um, would We're you mind going a fans? Oh yeah. If I pick your brain about some opi and stuff, you can talk about whatever you want. Okay. Does not so, mean I'll answer it, but you can ask whatever <laughs> you want. Many years ago, you went to see the Rolling Stones at the Meadowlands with Opie, and he oh, yeah. well, left with a bunch of there. people. Yes, it was Opie, 
and his girlfriend at the time, uh, Steve C., uh, yes. Ben, and I think that was it. I think that, w- that was it. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember what happened. Like, I was in another section with Steve, and Opie was somewhere else. And it was Ben who caused a lot of problems. Uh, ben was uh, the one, I guess. Yeah, don't. Uh, said something like oh we should just leave them because they walked out and went to the car and they left so Steve had gotten there by himself I'm in New Jersey I live in Brooklyn so I'm trying to figure out how the hell do I get home from here and they left so uh, the concert ran late all the buses and everything were um, you you, you see those stories like when Bruce Springsteen goes past midnight and then or Wrestlemania when it was out there went to like one in the morning and then people were there for like three four hours because they didn't know how to get home because the unions didn't let the buses <laughs> um travel and everything so i i was figuring that stuff i got home an hour before i got uh, in brooklyn an hour before i had to get up to go back to the radio <laughs> show and when i came in i was livid like i, I wouldn't I would talk imagine. to him and then you know he came in and said oh you rock's mad at me it's like you're a fucking asshole <laughs> anybody would have been mad at you and you're thinking it's a joke but it's not like you left me at madison square garden and i had to get a train or something home i had to cross several the river rivers. you know <laughs> i had to try to figure out how to get from Secaucus, uh, no rutherford new jersey over to brooklyn and uh it, it wasn't an easy feat and especially this is before at that time Uber, right oh yeah Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when you had trains running once an hour, you have buses that you're lucky to get you to Port Authority. Um, Yeah. So it wasn't a pleasant time. And it took several days before uh, I was able to move on from that. But, of course, the next day, it's my fault that I'm upset that uh, that he left. (laughs) Which leads me to my next incident that I'd like you to go into when he gave your phone number out, which is probably the worst, right? Well, that was negligence because they're idiots. They're all idiots. They're, they're, the, they're the dumbest people. So, you know, they're sitting there and he, he calls me while I'm vacation because that was the thing. It's like even everyone else was allowed to take a vacation. I could take a vacation, but then I had to be called or something. So one person took on Monday off. And uh, for the foreseeable future, yes. yes. So um, <laughs> he calls, but he's not paying attention. He's just letting the voicemail go. And then it's that automated one with the number that you called, but, but it tells you and he plays it through there and Anthony hears it and goes, Oh shit slams on this thing. And then there's, there's three dumps. There's uh dump buttons, which means a delay. So mm-hmm. if something's said, you can cut it out of the live feed. Ope had a button and had a button and there's a button over uh, what would be my studio, my board on there. And I think Travis was on the board at the time. Travis never hit it. Ope didn't hit it. And then Anthony hit it too late and it still got out there and it became a huge problem. Like mm-hmm. I was livid. My phone, I, I kid you not, bricked. It, yeah. I had When you look down and you see that little, uh, if you have an iPhone, you, that little green icon that shows messages or mm-hmm. calls and it says 999 and you go, that's as high as it can go. Right. And my phone is just getting called, messages, whatever. The th- it's, I can't do anything with the phone. How angry was your wife? Uh, she was pissed. And I had called uh, our boss at the time, Tim Sabian, and I quit. You I said, did. I'm not coming back. Yeah, I said, I'm done. I'm not coming back. I'm tired of this. Uh, this isn't happening. And I uh, had the phone off for the rest of the trip. I didn't call anybody. Well, so they didn't know. Finally, Tim got in touch with me and, and you know, kind of talked me off a ledge right. from that stuff. But I said, this constantly keeps happening and this is going to be a problem. And 
uh, that's when Opie had to pay for my trip. Of course, that didn't go smooth either. I believe he but... did it in pennies. Mm-mm. Quarters. Was that a bit? Quarters. 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 <laughs> he got, I don't know how he got this. And look, if it was anybody else, I'd be laughing at it too. So he got, this isn't something you can get in public. He got the banker's box that has the rolls of quarters in there that get shipped from, I don't know what government facility or other higher up banking institution that sends to the local banks, the boxes where they break open the boxes, then they can, you know, exchange the rolls or break open the rolls. He had the bricks of these things. Incredible. And Kenny club soda, Kenny wheels them in on a, on a, on a hand. I truck, have something for you, Eric. Puts them all down in this floor of the studio, then leaves with the hand truck. And they went down the elevator and they went home. So I'm sitting here with these, and they're really heavy. And mm-hmm. it's it's about like, you know, six grand in quarters. And I'm trying to figure out how to get this home. So, you know, luckily people in um, maintenance and engineering. I would like, listen as a listener. Yeah. I always thought that was fake. There's no way. No, it was, real. That. it was yeah. real. I have photos of it, too. I can... Uh, I can dig. I have them somewhere in the archive. I have the photos because I took photo. You mm. learn while doing this. Anything happens that, that like I got to talk about this. You got to take a photo or got to get some video. It helps the story because sometimes sure. you're lying. This sounds far fetched. OK, whatever. Well, you know, here's the here's the photo. Uh, you can take a look. Oh, my God. It's true. Yeah. You, you know, you got to have that kind of stuff to, to add to your story. I couldn't get it out of the studio because they were just way too heavy. So. Mm. Uh, maintenance helped me out. They had some kind of uh, transport little hand truck thing that we put them on there. They let me. This was awesome. The building let me bring my car out of the, the parking garage to the what we call the Howard entrance, the Oprah oh, entrance. The so you go, you go in through this uh, special uh, garage door. You go down below the building. And when you go down into the building, there is a big giant circle that's almost like a lazy Susan, right? You go and you park on there. And what it does is then the circle moves your car around and it's used for trucks. So when um, um, they have it because uh, it's Rockefeller Center, the building across the street from us is 30 rocks. So they do it for the Today Show and Saturday Night Live. When the trucks come in with all the band equipment or stage equipment, whatever, mm-hmm. they bring the tractor trailers into these garages, put them on that circle. It moves the truck into position, and then they back up into the dock. It goes up a special freight elevator to there. Mm-hmm. So they allowed me to use the, that freight elevator and that whole section where Howard comes in in the morning. So I was like, oh, this is what what he does. <laughs> this is what it's like to be a real celebrity. <laughs> Or insane, either one, you know, paranoid. This is what you get when you're when you're that freaked out about the general public. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's how I got into my car and that's get home. And story. look, I had an SUV at the time, and even that's the back suspension just went like that with all those quarters. <laughs> Twenty four. So I managed quarters. to get them home. Then trying to find a bank to take them, right? They wouldn't take all of them. They're like, "How did you get these?" I go, "Don't worry about how I got these. I need to just deposit them." I had to go to four different banks because they would only take so much because of their inventory or whatever. So like this, this bank took two boxes. This one took three boxes and yeah, it took a couple days just to ride this whole saga out. So great radio, but just horrible on me. I have one more question and then we'll get into the movie. Okay. Um, Who cares about the movie? Yeah, really. Um, more recent history. Talk radio. The guy died at the end. It's a Very based true. on a real story. There you go. <laughs> All right, done. Um, you are now the head man at Compound Media, correct? Uh, sure. 
<laughs> what is your take on the club soda Kenny incident with Anthony at the comedy cellar last month? Um, look, I'm friends with Anthony. I'm friends with Kenny. Uh, I'm not in the middle of that. I, I think it's unfortunate the way it went down. Uh, hopefully, I would like to see one day it be resolved, but you know, I'm not going to talk out against friends. So Understood. it's it's uh, it's a terrible situation. Yeah. It shouldn't have gotten to this point, but here we are. Um, I still think one day a lot of this, if just everybody was in the same room, would this would all kind of get sorted out, you know, for a couple hours, yell at each other, throw shit, hit each other, whatever. And then, OK, we're done. And now we're back to um everything's okay again. again so all right it's, an unf- it's unfortunate but you know i i still like everybody involved sure on that note i have a question no. what was your relationship like with opie because you know you hear all these stories afterwards where you know it seems like he uh kind of pissed everybody off so were you guys friends like what's your situation there uh yeah we were i mean at least i thought we were um you see he, he to not have angered him at least publicly and he doesn't no, like you <laughs> he, he uh he uh he what was uh somebody sent me something the other day I so saw look i'm blocked you, on all his on your stuff. on your show i think it was a week ago you were telling the story about your last day last time seeing with the chair in the hallway oh yeah 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 that so, was the last time um, you saw him well we're going on in several places here so all right the chair thing um he used to sit in the corners of the floor, not far from where our studio was, because he would not share the office with all of us for that last year that he did it. That was um, the Opie show. The, the Opie show in the afternoon. He wouldn't share the office with us. And the office was Paul, Roland, and myself. And there was a desk there you know, for him. And he wouldn't, couldn't be bothered to do any prep before the show with us and you know talk about stuff that was going on. He took a chair, a glass table, and somebody sent him like potted plants, like a listener sent him plants. And he set up two corners at the end of, uh, of the floor there where he, some days he would sit over here. Some days he would sit over here, depending on the mood, you know, and he would sit there with his newspaper. And then Carl and Vic and, and Sherrod would come in and they'd hang in the corner of these of these hallways where other studios are, where like Entertainment Weekly's over here. And then you got Major League Baseball right over there. Shade 45's right there. Andy Cohen radio's right there. <laughs> and they're in the corner and like making terrible jokes and being loud and obnoxious. Like people are working and doing shows. But he used to get pissed. They didn't even give me my own office. Why should you? You weren't supposed to be here this last year anyway. You disappeared for a month and a half. Nobody thought you were coming back. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he would sit out there in the, in the, in the corners and uh, and do his show. That's why I had the photos because they were ridiculous. We would talk to people. Nobody would believe. He's like, no, he's not. I'm like, all right, here you go. There's a photo. There he is sitting right there doing a live stream on his phone, reading the, you know, the New York Post in the corner. I mean, it just it was sad. So. Uh, that was the uh, the the chair photos things. Um, Opie, I thought I was friends with him. And then he's the kind of guy where, you know, if he finds somebody new, he that's the new guy flavor, the new girlfriend, the new whatever you want to call that relationship. So now he's more friends with that person than he is with the other people. And you're not that close. We weren't that close after he disappeared for a month and a half and you know the summer of 2016 which is the which summer is, that created jim and sam correct so, yeah. yeah 
Jim and Sam would not have existed had if he didn't take the that month and a half off. Mm-hmm. And uh that that was kind of by necessity because Jim didn't want to be off the entire time. Jim wanted to just he's like, fuck it, we'll just do the show together, the Jim and the staff. And we did that. And Sam kind of took the lead on uh on air with Jim because Jim's great, but Jim needs somebody Someone else to, to kind of run everything so Jim can do what Jim does best, which is comment and and associate to uh whatever guests or things like that he's not meant to lead the show he's mm-hmm. he does what jim does you know he sits yeah. there and he he comments on everything and gives his opinions and that kind of came out of necessity mm-hmm. we had all these guest hosts and fill-ins things and and uh jim and sam just became it's like oh we can just use them that it, it's going as good as the show was with open gym so let's just keep doing that right and uh you know because Ope did this, he kind of worked himself out of a gig. And when he finally did come back, they're like, well, we'll put you on in the afternoon and you're by yourself and that's all we're going to give you. Um, what happened so, to you? Why did you get the canned? Uh, I, I left two months after and I think it was just guilt by association. I was kind of like the last of the ONA stuff there and they were done being Serious. anything associated with, with Opie and Anthony and, uh, and, uh, I was uh, overseeing the channel. I was overseeing all the secondary shows that we had on, like when the comics podcast would air on the the channel, Dr. Steve, Weird Medicine. I oversaw all those things. Uh, My show, um, the the accelerated shows we did on Friday, which was just the highlight of the of the week of the channel and all that stuff was me. Um, Were you Ron and Fez? No, no. Ron and Fez were, were they're their own sinking ship you know <laughs> they, they're their their own uh, luxury cruise line going off into the wrong direction and 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 glad to be doing so um they they were self-sufficient they were fine you didn't have to b- worry about them besides they weren't on our channel anymore at that point they, they moved them to uh the uh the comedy channel oh was it raw, raw dog? dog yeah raw yeah. dog it was over on raw dog which was unfortunate but you know some people have influence and said, eh, you know, maybe they'd be better over there. So, <laughs> which was stupid. Um, but yeah, that last year, we really weren't that good of friends anymore. And then when the whole blow up happened, he got pissed off because, look, we had to talk to lawyers and HR people and stuff when that whole incident was going on with Anthony. With no, this was with Roland. Roland. Pissing, oh, right? The Roland, Roland thing what got Opie fired. So, yeah. we're not gonna lose our jobs to lie for something dumb you know like this wasn't something that like the show we could cut it was an on-air bit that we could cover none of this was on air Mm -hmm. so we didn't even have that kind of security like oh this was a bit that just went too far or something like that we'll work it out you know this was all off the air and i wasn't even around for when that event happened when that was going on allegedly i guess um I was still in the studio. They all left and I'm running commercials and everything, getting the stuff ready for the next show that comes on after Opie or the rerun, whatever it was. And so I'll, they leave like 10 minutes before, you know, the hour and I'm still in there doing everything. So I don't walk out with them. I'm the only one left in studio. So while all that was going on, I was still in studio. So I had nothing to do with any of it. Hands are clean. And when they <laughs> were talking to us about it, they're like, what are you there? And it's like, I, I don't know. I'd have, I said, I believe what Roland said. I don't, no, I wasn't part of it. So none of my testimony or whatever they were doing, uh, asking me for mattered because I wasn't part of it. But he got mad that we weren't backing supporting him, him or covering him or whatever you want, backing him up. That last show falls apart 
and Sherrod reveals that the video does exist and everybody at the comedy cellar saw the video. And I'm like, oh, that was a damn. Move. And I'm like, he's done. Because he was lying to the company. He said, oh, because it turned into like, oh, there was no video. Then it was rated G at best. Oh, like, so now there is a video. So wait, you, is there not one or is the video what, like it was just too many stories. Roland wanted him out. Right? Roland was furious at him, mm-hmm. you know, so like it's not like. This was a fight of, amongst friends where, like, I'm look, I wouldn't go that far to want him to lose his job. Roland hated him at the time because mm-hmm. Roland just was treated like shit by him. So you piss off the wrong people. They're not going to defend you. In fact, they're going to make it so that you're in trouble or, you know, so he was not happy with it. Oh, didn't want to listen to him and said, don't show this to people. Roland found out people saw this thing. And he went to HR and, and did what he did. And then. I didn't know that happened. I found out after the fact when all this was in motion, when they said, we need to talk to you, this is what happened. Because Roland didn't say, I'm going to HR about it. He didn't tell us. Mm-hmm. He went and did what he had to do. We found out as the, the process was going on. The last show, Sherrod says, I saw it. Everybody down at the cellar saw it. And if you think I'm lying, the if you can find the audio, he says he it on the it. air yeah. that everybody at, down at the cellar saw it. That caused a problem. He had a fit or whatever. He walks out on that show comes into my studio with Vic Henley following him and he's trying we have these big giant like submarine doors to the studio like you get they're pressured you got to push them open because they snap back to keep it soundproof so he's trying to kick the door open but it doesn't do it and he pushes it open and he goes thank you for uh, supporting me I really fucking appreciate it and tries to slam the door but the door is pulling back because it's like an airlock and then he just gets up whatever and he storms off and I see I see Vic out the glass there and Vic goes like that and he just walks around the corner so that was the last time i saw him that was it that was the last time i saw him in person or heard from him um uh in more than one sentence uh at at that time and vic just kind of walked off and that was it and then we find out that uh around the same time for around the fourth of july time uh like with anthony that uh uh, was was let go and then two months later, you know, I got the uh, the meeting and they were talking about, uh, you know, that we're going to we're getting rid of all the rest of this stuff here and they're letting you go. So, you know, I had to sit out for a year because uh, I had a contract agreement with the company. Yeah. And then uh, well, that's nice. But I had iHeart that picked me up like three weeks after uh, letting go. And I went over there and then compound like a year or so later. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I used to be Can't friends with him, but he, we don't talk to him anymore. He doesn't talk to any of us. He blocked all of us like immediately on every social media platform, which was like, all right, that's such a bitch move. But okay, <laughs> fine. That's what you want to do. And uh, yeah, that, that's what too. So yeah, I, I have nothing to say about him. Like, I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people say, oh, I don't care. I mean, you care. No, I, I don't. You never hear me talk about him unless it's brought up. And then I just, what do you want me to say? Like, just like I told you, that's what happened. I haven't talked to him really since. Uh, there was a minor thing at Westwood One where I was uh, looking at a job over there and he was coming over and they wanted me to run his stuff there. And he said, absolutely not. So so you were still willing to get back yeah. on board. The it was a major company that was had offered me a lot of money. Like, hey, look, we want you to run his stuff because nobody else knew how to run his stuff. I go, all right, he's got to sit down and talk with me. And he wouldn't do that. So didn't happen didn't work out and then he did a podcast for a year and he tanked that and now he's just 
streaming to, to whoever he's streaming to. He sort of exists. Yeah. <laughs> he does. He And that's the way he wants to do it. So, you know, God bless him. Good for him. But, yeah, I haven't talked to him in, in oh, my God, we're six years now yeah. removed from that. Yeah. Well, that was a long tirade. Sorry about no. that. No, no, no. Excellent. That's we what we it. wanted. So um, real quick, um, Anthony, that's uh, my co-host right there. Um, he told me that you are a radio historian and talk radio is based on Allen Berg. So what do you kind of know about like that case and situation? When I said radio historian, I just know he knows a lot about radio. Yeah, I didn't think, you know, <laughs> he has chronicles and books and shit. But, you know. I used to. I used to have a lot of books and stuff. Like, Imus used to put out tons of books, like, in the 80s and the 90s. And you read them, and like, these are stories. Who gives a f- I want to hear about the radio stuff. I don't care about... I'm God's other son. Good for you. I don't want to. I want to hear about what you, know, you yelling at McGurk and Bernard uh, and uh, McCord and all that shit. Um, from what I what I remember with the story, it was a. I think it was in Denver. The the guy with the host was uh, Alan Berg. Yeah. And um, it's a jam Jewish Houston name. Jewish <laughs> uh, Mr. Berg. Yeah, Jewish talk show host. Um, hot talk for the time. I think it was early '80s. Um, where he was, uh, he walked that line of, um, of liberal ideals, but conservative, depending on the situation kind of thing, morality, yeah. like he kind of mm-hmm. played both sides of the, the, which is what you should do as a talk host, but he was very polarizing and he was very dismissive to a lot of the idiots that would call into him <laughs> and people don't like being dismissed. Like if they're calling a talk radio, they're obvious uh, talk radio show. They're pretty broken. You know, it, it just as like the hosts and the people on the show, we're all damaged goods. And so if they're <laughs> calling in here, they're not very, um, of, of sound body and mind. So when, the, when they're calling in, uh, they've got issues. Look to this day, well, maybe not to this day, but there was a show called uh, coast to coast with art bell used to be syndicated nationwide. It was on at night and it was a lot of tr- lonely truckers and people living in trailer parks and, and, and uh, isolated parts of the country that would call in all the time with the weirdest shit. A lot of it was aliens, but you know, like the weirdest <laughs> shit that was going on in their lives. These people need a connection. They want somebody to talk to. They need a friend. They need something like this is filling a hole that's missing in them. Well, that guy, what didn't take too kindly to anti-Semitism, which who would and you know also didn't take too kindly to militant uh other ideals so he pushed a lot of buttons and people didn't know how to handle that so this uh right-wing nazi group mm-hmm. called the order um wound up finding all his information waited for him um the the, uh, the movie ends with him at the radio state i think it's right. at the radio station mm-hmm. is that where the yeah. parking garage is is that yeah. the radio station? work yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's leaving work. He he just said goodbye to his producer slash girlfriend. She drives off, and then a guy comes up out of another car pretending to be a fan, and then and kills the guy. But in real life, the guy was reconnecting with his ex wife. They just came back from dinner or something, and yeah. he gets out of the car, goes over to open the door for for his ex wife, and he gets gunned down. Um, by these people who were with this Nazi organization. And uh, by the way, they were not charged with murder. They were charged no, they with the uh, violating civil, civil, rights. Uh, mm-hmm. civil disobedience and violating civil rights and things yeah. like that. Both well, of got, them died in prison. Though. They never admitted to murdering him. Right. And yeah. They, they got, they, 
they the got FBI. lifetime sentences. They had like one yeah. had like 190 something years. The other guy had like 250 years on him, but they were never charged with murder. Very so they couldn't get the other members of the order to sell them out. They were right. loyal to their murderer friends. Mm -hmm. So if that, only that he guy, had a guy, club soda Kenny of his own, he'd still be around. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or Master Poe. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's what it is. <laughs> round kick, round kick. <laughs> like he's saying all the he's saying all the the moves that he's doing as he's combating people. It seems um, like he, like you said, he was pushing Boston. The the movie portrays him almost like an early troll. You know, well, um, it, that's kind of a style of that time, like uh, Morton Downey Jr., like that provocateur shit where they're really like in your face yelling at you. And that was before Morton Downey Jr. But I also oh, think okay. they took some. Yeah, Morton Downey Jr. didn't really hit popularity till the late 80s like the mid to late 80s and this was technically late 70s into the early 80s so it's about maybe it's half close. a decade yeah. separated from it but you can see where the how morton downey could come out of the, uh, of this kind of uh of this thing mm -hmm. this genre um as a guy who's worked in the industry but as long as you have what is right. your opinion of the movie it's all right um it's uh look like Ron and Fez used to use a lot of clips from that movie in their intros and stuff. In yeah. fact, when they had him in, Eric, uh, I can never get his Bogosian? name right. Bogosian came in. They had him recreate some of the lines for the <laughs> Ron and Fez show to, to mix into the intro, which I thought was awesome. Have you ever um, heard so many great callers in a row? <laughs> it's yeah, interesting that's, never, that's never the case. Half the time you're yelling, you're like, hello, hi. You called me. Say something. You're like, don't just sit there and wait. This isn't a, a family phone call. What's going on? How I don't think there's one. Day? Turn your radio down in the whole movie. Right. So <laughs> that's a fair point. I didn't even think about that. Where you're hearing the yeah. echo in the in the oh yeah. Um, it, it was fine. I know it was. Um, look, talk radio wasn't really known nationally at that point, other than very few. Hosts like I know Larry King was syndicated nationally at that time before he started doing the CNN show at night. Um, there, there was very few programs that were syndicated like that um, that were just relying on callers at night in, or in the afternoon. So I think it was kind of glorifying that genre at the time and, and, and amping it up. Yeah. Needless to say that, you know, because there's a lot of people who are dumb and don't know timelines and like, oh, because it's it's obviously Howard. It's like, no, it's not. How Howard's not Howard yet. Like Howard's becoming mm -hmm. Howard. But this was not that this was not what it was. In fact, uh, Ford Fairlane, where they had uh, the radio host get killed by mm -hmm. an obsessed fan, which was, I guess, a, a, a take or an homage to talk radio was supposed to be Howard Stern and he turned it down. So they got Gilbert Godfrey to do it because Gilbert would do everything. So they got Gilbert on there to do the Howard role on Ford Fairlane. So when Gilbert got electrocuted by a fan that he pissed off, it was Ford Fairlane's job to figure out who killed, you know, the talk show host. <laughs> um, the, the movie's fine. Uh, you, you don't hear shows like even now you don't hear shows that were anywhere close to this. And I, I don't know if that's sad for a bygone era or good that we're not like that but it seems a lot of the talk radio all the callers are on the same line of thinking as the host you're not getting yeah. or rarely getting contrary opinions anymore like uh like a sean hannity when he picks up people 
you, he's rarely arguing with anybody. And if it is, it's minute details where he, obviously this caller is conservative or um, a Christian fundamentalist or whatever, and they're not agreeing on the same bullet point for this politician or this policy. So that's where that gets heated. But it's like if they were standing next to each other, they're pretty much on the same page. You're not getting no um, – yeah, like militant it, liberal people calling in to scream at Sean. And if they are, they're not getting on the air. And then if whatever liberal talk shows, if there are any um, on on radio, because it's hard to find those, it's all, usually all conservative stuff. Right. Um, they're not taking calls from conservative or religious people because they're not towing the same line. They want yes. And and uh, right. like why Rush is to the call them ditto heads listening what? to this guy every night? You know, like why, why white, not white well, nationalist Nazi guys. It's the guy you love to hate. Yeah. You know, I guess. Yeah, it was. And you can see like it's explained in Howard's book and Howard's movie too. Why people that listen to him, listen to 45 uh, that love him, listen for 45 minutes. Okay. Mm -hmm. But what about the people that hate him? They listen for an hour and a half. Right. If they hate him, why do they listen? They want to see what he says next. That's what's, mm -hmm. that's, that's what truth radio is not the movie, but the genre itself. It's supposed to be compelling. It's supposed to to lure you in with either something that's interesting and you're like, wow, I, I think that way too, or I, I feel that, or something's like, I didn't know about that. That's interesting. I want to hear more about that. Or I don't agree with this person at all. This guy's an asshole. I'm going to call and, and give him a piece of my mind, or I want to sit here and listen to other people chastise this, this host. That's what talk radio is supposed to be. A lot of the times they don't, the ones that you have left, um, don't entertain the the opposition on this stuff. You know, if mm -hmm. you, maybe once in a while, but you're not hearing all the time where they're picking up. They're they're agreeing with me. You know, uh, they pick up and they're agreeing with uh, with Hannity about what the Biden administration's doing wrong, or they're calling into uh, I forgot the guy that replaced Rush Limbaugh, and they're do, you know doing the same thing. If you can find a liberal talk show, which I apologize, I don't know of any anymore. You know, after Air America, like they all mm -hmm. kind of went away. Um, I'm sure they're out there, but you know, I'm sure they're calling off with bullet points about how Trump is terrible or what happened, uh, you know, during the uh, 9/11 handling with the Bush administration. Like that. They're all on the same party lines. A lot of this stuff, you're not taking the opposing calls, and it doesn't make it interesting anymore. It's just a bubble. So the fact that you had a show like they're portraying and and what Alan uh, Berg was doing is interesting because he, he yeah. would take calls from people, but it was better when he was opposing those people or those oh, people were opposing him. That's what made the theater of the mind with all of this stuff. And, and the companies don't allow it anymore. That was morning talk radio, not like the morning zoo stuff we said earlier, but like what Howard was doing, what ONA was doing, Bubba, the love sponge, Don and Mike, Lex and Terry, all these shows, they were entertaining shows, but they would take the people that hated them. They would take the people that liked them. They were giving you, um, a mix of both and they just don't let you do that anymore sure. now I mean, everything how many has times to be has jim norton screamed at people over the phone you know yeah but now if somebody conflict. created a, a fake twitter account you know with no avatar and they posted five times about the, i'm going to tell your sponsors on that oh we gotta fire this person really from nobody that's following this account and he's following two other people which are his other accounts this guy is complaining and this guy now has the power to shut down radio stations and and fire shows and, and all of that stuff. That's what they care about now. That's it's, one of the sucks. things I found to be in the movie so different than today. You had the Alec Baldwin character, who's the guy who's going to syndicate the whole show. That um, is incorrect, by the way. 
The way they handled that, explain that never happened. They're like, no, Monday you're going to be syndicated nationally. There's no way in hell a company (laughs) just surprise you're going to be syndicated. (laughs) The host has to fight to get that syndication in in a lot of cases. Right, and this host doesn't even want it, or is yeah, or a company comes down and pitches like that. uh, What was his name? Dietz. It was the yeah. name of the guy, right? Yeah. Deets comes in and pitches to the company that owns the host or has the rights to the host. We want to work this deal. He'll technically work for us. We subside to you. We give you a, a piece of the money. He works for us now on your station on this and that. Like that's how it all works out. It's not surprise if you're if your Friday night show's good. We're gonna let you go nationwide on Monday. That was <laughs> completely bullshit. I will say what I did like about the movie is that they used real radio equipment. Every time you see a, mm. a, a shitty movie or a television when they feature radio, they're using music mixing boards, mm. right? They, they go sit there and pot up and you go, that's a Behringer, like 12 track <laughs> soundboard that you plug your guitar and your amp into. That's not a radio um, fader and all that stuff where you can turn the buttons on and off. They had the studios, which, by the way, that was a gigantic studio. I don't see many talk shows that have a huge studio like Especially this. Especially local Denver, which yeah. I imagine is not a big market. No, no. But uh, <laughs> wait, where was this movie? Bi- it was Houston, Dallas. Oh, it was um, based yeah, you're in right. Dallas. You're Dallas. Right. Yeah. But the real event. Um, the was real in guy. Denver. Yeah, I don't know what his studio looked like. It was probably a shithole closet, you know, with, with right. burlap, uh, you know, wallpaper <laughs> or something in there. But this studio looked amazing. They had real boards. Like there was, uh, I remember at the beginning when they're looking down at John C. McGinley, he's pushing, they had carts at the time, which was accurate. He's hitting the things into the cart machine. Mm-hmm. He's blowing into it. He's hitting it with his fist. I'm like, yep, that's what you do. He's got the real board. They're doing all the things. The only thing that didn't make sense was the, was the war games computer monitor that yeah. they were using for, uh, Call for screening the calls. I'm like, it's not even aligned <laughs> right. You know, they're just hitting the space bar, hoping that it lines up in the right way. <laughs> but at least the studio is accurate. So I, I give uh, Oliver Stone a lot of credit for at least making a legit radio station. The movie looks sure. good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just not much. Even in by it. today's standards. I mean, a lot of these old TV shows look like shit because of the way mm-hmm. they shot it um, for three by four, the SD format yeah. and you live to video instead of on film. But when you see old movies, you can tell they're dated based on you know, if they're walking through New York City, like, wow, New York City doesn't look like that anymore. But it looks of the time. It doesn't look dated because of the technology. It just looks dated because of the time. The way they shot this everything, yeah, everybody's so much younger, but it still looks good. Like, the lighting's great. The studio looks fantastic. The, yeah. All the different parts of the radio station all look incredible. And you, you just got to have an, a better appreciation for the fact when things are shot on film because it, it ages better. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely. directed beautifully too, because mm-hmm. basically the whole film takes place in a studio and it never really gets boring. You know, it's always kind of interesting. It, it's always moving. The yeah. movie moves a hundred miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. Um, yeah. I just thought of something. So there's a uh, moment in the movie where a woman calls up and says she's going to kill herself. Right. Which seems to happen a lot on his show. There's people <laughs> right. constantly dying or going to kill themselves. And- <laughs> I seem to recall a moment in Opie and Anthony history where someone called up, said they were going to kill himself. And I believe it was Anthony that talked him back off a ledge. Do you remember? Oh this? yeah. Ed, I think it was his Ed. No, there was a guy who claimed to be a murderer. And then there was a guy who was going to jump right. off the bridge. And uh, yeah, they talked that off. Uh, yeah, when that show was done, like the police contacted the radio station to get recordings of uh, of the show and whatever information that they had. 
to help deal with the guy on the and they got him off the bridge like the guy didn't jump mm-hmm. but then there was another one i th- i want to say the guy's name was eddie but i think i think i think it's labeled eddie the murderer um <laughs> where the guy was claiming that he had killed people and stuff so wow. yeah you do get those calls time to time not didn't all the time bob do we levy let him call what? like didn't bob levy say he was gonna kill dice or howard or something um i haven't I ha- I know of it. I haven't heard it, but um, there was a time where Bob was kind of pilled or drugged out or something like. He he admits to this, so it's not like I'm mm-hmm. I'm slandering him or anything. But yeah, I think he th- I think the story is he threatened to kill Howard, and that was the end of his relationship with the Stern Show. And he switched. I, over I know since then he's um, at least on his end he's apologized and said, look, you know, he was a bad time in his life. He was on. He was on stuff. He's clean and sober now, and he regrets all of that. So I don't think he's ever talked to Howard since. But uh, I know Bob's a bit remorseful for it that he wish he never did it. But mm. it is what it is. You move on. But I have not heard that audio. Right. It seems that in this, like the constant calls of "I'm going to kill myself," "I'm going to," "I'm a drug addict," that it's him like peering into the abyss, and it just breaks him completely in yeah. the movie. I don't, I don't know think that's, that's what, what breaks him. Was, I don't think that's what breaks him because he's had a whole history of a career talking to nut jobs like this. It was the it was um, the uh, cruel thing he did to his wife. I think I don't even I th- think that. I think it was the the white supremacist guys sending the box with the dead rat, which was supposed to. Well, he said on the air, I, I think it was a bomb or right. something. He yeah, said it was like yeah. C four mm-hmm. or something with. Uh, nuts and bolts will do the job when compressed in the right way or i i forget the, the exact term um and he's and they were like let's get call the cops we'll get a bomb squad get the thing out of here and he's like nope i want to open like he was calling the bluff mm-hmm. and when he saw that it it was the dead rat right it was, yeah. dead it, was rat. A, it was a crucified and, rat in a swastika yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> well it was in the, it was in the flag like i know he yeah. unfurled the flag that was in there and, and there was a note that was saying you know you're gonna die he put the thing over the the flag over his shoulder and then finished off his show. I think the for some reason that I don't know why the the, the management and the syndication thing was bothering because it didn't seem like he wanted to be syndicated in the first place, and now he's like kind of freaking out about this. But there's moments where he's talking and then you see his eyes and stuff when they're when he's getting yelled at uh, on the bat the gym floor the basketball court or whatever it was where yeah. he's out in public you're supposed to speak. When the lady's yelling at him, he's looking like this. Or when management's yelling at him, like he's a scared little boy at times. Like he's this big laugh, uh, loud mouthpiece. But when you get right out to him and you hit him in the core, when Alec Baldwin's called him, it's like you're just still a, uh, you're still just a suit salesman, you know. <laughs> and that kind of fucking hit him because he's been trying to forget that part of his life, and right. it comes back to, you know, that's where he could go back to if he fucks this up. Um, I think the white supremacy stuff started getting into his head. I don't think everything else around him was bothering him to that extent because he's been dealing with that for the longest time. His wife left him what years ago you're, at you're that right. point. He has those callers every night. He know it's like, Oh, I talked to you last time. Remember I'm going to grab my belt and hang myself. No, you're not. You're not going to do that. Like he, he knew <laughs> yeah. how to go through all this stuff. The, the stuff showing up in the mail and then that uh, that hippie asshole uh, yeah, the, the metal guy. that came in <laughs> then in there, he, he was starting to see like the, the celebrities like this guy could replace me. Like, that's how I replaced the other guy 
He was the guy in the suit shop that came in and and then wound up getting the job from the other guy. They bring this guy Kent in and he's seeing where he's going. And then he's like, oh my God, this is parallel. This could be how I'm being replaced. So he was um, more, at least I think he was more upset by his uh, shortcomings and by what could potentially uh, history repeating itself. You know, how he got his job is how he's going to be replaced. And then when finding out that the national syndication was delayed, which he didn't want in the first place, he was like, oh, my God, that's the next step that they're really now thinking that maybe he's not the guy. And then um, th- that's kind of what was his undoing. It's his own undoing. It wasn't the callers, it wasn't his wife. It wasn't all the stuff. It was him getting it into his own head when he tried pushing all that shit out so he could work when it was all coming back in. That's what was, mm-hmm. um, I think there was a line saying that it, this is his downfall. Like he's his own downfall or something like that. Oh. Um, I think he got a, a good piece of it, but I, I think there's another aspect to it too. And I think no, Brian's I'm 100% right, right, right with me on this. There's a moment <laughs> early on where yeah. um, he's fighting with the white nationals guy on the phone. And right. then he starts telling a story about how he went to Auschwitz and found a star of David on the floor and picked it up and he's right. it right now, but he's lying. He's not actually. Yeah, he's lying. Mm-hmm. I think after going through all the stuff in the movie, you know, all this terrible, awful muck, he started to realize that he is part of it and is actually producing it at the same time. He's starting to, starting to feel guilty about everything he does. Right. And that's kind of what makes him go nuts at the end. Yeah. And the, start yelling the, at people he uh he's part of them he's starting to realize he's like well these calls that he was warned like you shouldn't take this call whatever and he's like no we're gonna do it we're gonna do it he's he wound up uh, amplifying it you know and, and thinking he was combating it but really was making it worse so um yeah that contributes that's part of the whole the white supremacy thing it would i think his self-realization and the white supremacy stuff being mailed to him all the time when he got that second package while the hippie was in studio or the metal guy was in studio and it uh, was reading through the whole thing where it said like the only good Jew is a dead Jew and the order. Like now he now has a essentially um, (laughs) I heard you uh, essentially um, a, a, a almost a face to the caller. Like everybody else is a faceless entity. So he doesn't really have to deal with them in real life. And these guys who were calling, having a problem with him, now he's got the package. And now you're getting a group name directly saying, we know who you are. We know what you look like. We know where you live. Now you're getting a name essentially to the faces that are calling him. It's becoming real. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what's eating at him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it's our first <laughs> ad break. Oh, yeah. So we're interrupting the hot goss. Yeah. Hot Goss? What were we gossiping about? Whatever history subject the listeners are. I'll tell you what we should be gossiping about. What? The great quality of Riverside thing. (laughs) (laughs) thing. Anthony Anthony is not uh, attuned to what we do on the other side of the podcast, which is literally all the work. He's not attuned to any of the work. But Riverside is a great (laughs) streaming service. If you want to record your video in 720, 1080, even up to 4K, Infinite time. 4K is great for what I Multiple tracks, video and audio. We've used it before. Mm. It's fantastic. It can handle all your data. And it scales up. So you're never going to lose latency while you're talking to somebody. If you want to go live, (laughs) if you want to do a business conference, any sort of thing like that, Riverside is the way to go. It's the most inexpensive 
an effective option it is. for all mm. your video conferencing needs. Very oh, affordable. Yeah. Especially so, for somebody like us where we're a little bit smaller or if you're a little bit bigger, still very affordable. Way more affordable than the other services that we looked at. Bigger. Some other competitors <laughs> such as, you know, it may sound like um, p We don't even know their names. We don't even yeah, know the other competitors' them. names. Why would you know their names? They suck yeah, balls. Yeah. yeah. But uh, what they, if you use a promo code. Not even the promo code. Not even? No, it's what? just our link. We have an individual link, guys. Oh man, you guys, oh. you guys should be clicking that right now. Click oh. the link, sign up, you Click help it the up. podcast, you help yourself, you get a nice service. It's wonderful. Yes. Mm. Do you have a show? If you got a show, why are you not clicking the link? Click the yeah, link. Yeah, exactly. Give it, click, give it a click. You know what? Just are you a podcast without video? Now's your chance to get the video. Now Maybe you, you just wanna video. 4K. Maybe you just want to see what Riverside is, see what the hubbub is, right. see the very friendly user interface there. Yes. Just give it a click. It is yes. friendly. It is friendly. Yeah. Way better than those other places. It's nicer than Brian. That's how friendly it is. That hurt. Thanks, guys. Cut. <laughs> Got something right? yeah. Do you think it's, unre it's unrealistic that someone would come from a job not in radio, like selling suits and end up having a <laughs> giant uh, show? Maybe HVAC. Um, no, there's been stories of, of people who were not in, Anthony was an air condition, an HVAC guy <laughs> who wound up being one of the biggest radio shows that the, the, the country's ever seen. So yeah, there are stories where people, uh, who did not start in radio and broadcasting and wound up parlaying into it. Mm -hmm. Huh. How do you feel about, uh, especially satellite radio did this, the influx of the celebrities, Given their own shows, like it's shape. terrible. Yeah, it's terrible, and it's and look, it, it's a bunch of different things. Like you could say, like, oh, you're just mad they got the jobs and you don't. Yes, a hundred percent, I am <laughs> mad that they got the jobs and, and we don't. Um, but when a lot of people get annoyed at radio or broadcast people saying, well, they're not. That's not radio. That's not what you're doing. Well, it doesn't need to be radio. It doesn't need to be okay. It's fine, but what you're doing is not good either. You know, there's a reason radio. And broadcasting exists for as long as it has because there is a way of doing things. There's a way of, of controlling things, running things, and uh, just executing it, right? Now, outside of that, it's all your opinions, your commentary, your creativity, whatever you can put into it. Yes, that's important. But it can't just be that unguided because then you're YouTube. You know, everybody who turns on a live stream on YouTube and goes, we're doing a show. And then it's it's a disaster for yeah, an hour <laughs> or, you know, you're doing it in in, uh, in the tell them Steve Dave town there because I see Brian Johnson's face right over your yeah. shoulder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, 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 those guys are fine. Uh, when you <laughs> you see the uh, you know, when they go on to do it. Look, I'm I'm supportive of anybody. It's like I want to go try and do a podcast. Cool, go do a podcast. Hopefully, it works. A lot of times, it doesn't. And then what, what drives me nuts is when they ask for advice, and you go, "Well, I would do this, or I think this," and then they're like, "They don't do that," and then they don't know why it's not working. It's like, "Well, I, you asked, and I told you why I don't think this is going to work," and then and then they resent you for it. It's like, "Oh, what do you know?" It's like. You came to me, you know, I've only been doing this almost 30 years. You came to me asking my opinion and you didn't do it and it didn't work. And now it's, it's my fault. Go fuck yourself. So I think, I don't know. I'm losing, I'm losing the trail of thought here. Quite all right. I'm, I'm, to quote Mo, I'm choking on my own rage here. So it's just, it's a close topic to you. Talk. I love the genre so much. I think, 
Oh, the celebrity stuff. I love the genre so much. I, I think it still has a lot of value if done correctly and mm-hmm. done the right way. There's a reason why shows are very popular. Yes, it's because of the content, but it's also how they direct it, how they present it. It's not just, you know, nine people on, on a Zoom calls kind of stream where uh, they're all talking over each other and they're lighting up and they're vaping and they're smoking and there's really no direction to the show and they're reading the chats all the time. It's like, that's not doing a show. That's just hanging out. And that's fine if you want to do that. But when you want to do a show, you got to be moving. You got to be, you got to have something that's creating for people to want to listen to and to be captivating about. And for some reason that's viewed as being like, you're an asshole or you're uh, you're antiquated or you don't know what the world is like anymore by doing it that way. We People don't do it that way anymore. Right. Yeah. So maybe people, other problem. people should start coming back and do a lot of what is old can be new again. A lot of my philosophy with other shows that I help produce around the country or, or people who left radio and tried to figure out how to do their own, um, their own network thing or their own uh, Patreon, or, or now you can do it through YouTube memberships, those, those kind of things to be self-sustaining they they call me they they hire me to help set them up and and uh, figure some of these things out and i always tell them it's like talk about what you want but outline it there's no harm in writing stuff down and, and being prepared and and having something cuz if you go on a monologue and then you lose your train of thought if you go on a monologue and then you're like you said what you had to say what next mm-hmm. oh fuck what i what, there were so many other things i wanted to talk about i didn't re- you wrote it down. If you wrote it down and you had your bullet point, oh yeah, okay, here we go. Like when you go to a, see a band, they have their set list taped to the monitors. The crowd doesn't see it, but that's so they remember that the 20 songs that they need to play, you know? Mm-hmm. So they have that. Comedians do it too. Big comedians, like they'll either have their notepad on a little a stool next to them with their water. They look down, oh, I'm, I'm transitioning into this bit, into this conversation. Or they have it again taped to the monitor so they can see where they're going there's nothing wrong with that and people tend to think that this is a uh like a dirty thing to do or or it's cheating or something it's like no it's being professional it's being prepared there's no problem prepping your stuff ahead of time and then coming on and make it look like you're winging it when you aren't that what talented the anthony, yeah the opian anthony show did every day oh my god we had ton little insider and i'll get back to the celebrity stuff yeah, yeah. yeah. during opie's run Paul and I would do the prep. We used to print out all the articles. We'd highlight the key points, all the stuff we did. And then we had the prep sheet with all the bullet points, highlights, everything he needed to know. He never looked at anything that we put there. <laughs> he would just sit back and he would wax poetic and, and pontificate with whoever was in the room or what have you. We stopped doing the prep. We'd print out one article a day, put it on the top of the stack, and then just update the top sheet so you can see the date and all that. We stopped doing the work for months. And Paul and I would sit there and like, can you believe? And then what we would do is we'd start taking the bottom articles that were in there out and throwing them out. So it looked like we did stuff like on the show. And we would just sit there and go, he doesn't he doesn't read any of this. He doesn't listen to us. What What's the point? So we never did any more than we needed to because he wasn't going to do it anyway. And oh, why would great. we kill ourselves for, you know, for, for not? But with the Opie and Anthony show, we would print all that stuff out. They would see it. They would read the stuff ahead of time and they didn't get to it. And that's the right way to go where they could go on and just if you're fans of this show, uh, that show, you remember how it goes. The slightest little thing would be said and Anthony would make some kind of uh, movie reference. And, if you know, I caught it. Boom. There's the Godfather music. There's Vince McMahon. There's the shining, whatever Jim and Anthony are now going to go for the next five minutes, making fun of whatever 
know, some poor kid drowned in a well, and then they're going to just do shining references and making fun of it. And I'm playing the creepy music and you know, this is where it's going to go. They do all that stuff so that if the more they can do where they don't have to get to the prep, we did our jobs. Yeah. They they're doing their jobs. We did our job, but if they need to go to it, we had clips, we had articles, we had all of that stuff there waiting for them. If it was a slow day and they didn't have much to go on, they went through the news stories. They went through everything that was going on. Hmm. So do, do, doing prep uh, doesn't hurt. Back to the celebrity thing you're saying. Yes, I have a problem with it. I had a big problem with it t- a couple of years ago when the company I work for hired Paris Hilton and they gave oh, her gosh. a podcast and her first episode was shitting on David Letterman and Opie and Anthony because she <laughs> felt that she was abused and mistreated while they she was Worst on these shows. Of all time. Right. Th- she was terrible. And yeah. she nothing. So <laughs> she hated Dave and she hated ONA. So when this came out and it started going all over the internet, you no know, Paris having a problem with this stuff, the Letterman obviously the Letterman stuff was obviously bigger, the bigger headline. But when people were reading past the first paragraph for once and then seeing, oh, Opie and Anthony <laughs> did you know mistreated her too which we didn't, she just wouldn't talk about anything. And it wasn't, she wasn't there to be, be an infomercial. We wanted to talk to, we were going to promote everything, but be a fucking person, right? Sure. She couldn't do that. The uh, onslaught of hate towards Opie and Anthony came along. So Anthony and I were laughing. We're like, all right, we're, we'll, we'll get ready for this. It'll be interesting to see how Jim and Sam handle this when you know they see Jimmy's attached to it. Didn't come at us. Didn't come at Compound. Didn't come at Anthony. Did not come out of Jim and Sam. For some reason, it all went to Opie. And we were just sitting there. We were honestly, we were laughing, but we're like, we kind of wanted some of that coming at us. No, come and hate. Like like once they, if they would have dug a little bit and saw what the rest of Compound was, like, oh my God, this is a great infomercial for us. Wait till they meet Gino Visconti. Didn't happen. It was constant attacks on all his social media, his YouTube channel, all this stuff. And we were a little jealous. We're like, why is he getting all that kind of hate? We should get some of that fanfare, and we didn't. It's funny, but it was cause... also great to see him having to <laughs> like he's he's trying to figure out how to handle all of this. There's the cake stomp all over again. He kept cake going. Stomp. He put out a podcast episode, and he kept going for like way after that story came and went. He kept going with it. He kept putting more stuff out. I'm like, oh no, he doesn't know how to <laughs> that it, it's moved on. He didn't know how to to rein it in and, and make it useful. Um, Paris Hilton, that thing happened. On my show, my ads are all from the company, so I don't have any say in the advertisements. That week, ran ads on my show for Paris Hilton's podcast, and I had just <laughs> done a rant on my show on iHeart talking about it. We go to break, and I don't know the ads because they're put in, you know, after we record the show. We, we stream the show live. I hand it over to iHeart. They put all the ads in, and it goes out the next morning. Um, people are telling me this. I go and I download and there it is right as we go to break. There's the Paris Hilton podcast with her and her sister. And I'm just like, oh, my God. This is so luckily somebody over there showed me how to go into the commercial system. And I pulled that right out. <laughs> I put other stuff in there. I would never ran it again. Um, yeah, I, I'm not happy with because then we also had Ron Burgundy. What? They gave Will Ferrell uh, a podcast with Ron Burgundy. In he character? Was doing As a, a character? As the character. So he was doing this for about a year. Who was that for? Like, who's it listening to that? Because it's a big uh, celebrity branded thing. That's all they these companies Did care about listeners? anymore. So he would do a podcast like with a guest in character. And then, then it became a live thing. Like he'd be on stage and then you'd have the audience and all this. Stuff. And then, you know, Will Ferrell's 
a busy guy. He's mm -hmm. doing legitimate work. So you can't focus on doing a podcast all the time while he's doing that. Like Conan is one of the rarities that has a million things going on while he was doing his talk show. He still did the podcast because it was his and he wanted to do it. And it was mm -hmm. his name. Nobody paid him to do it. He started doing it under his own umbrella, then sold it for tons of money, which God bless him. Good for him for getting 150 million out of Sirius for he that. Seems to be the standout, like great talk show guy, like from when they were all popular on TV. He's uh, as far as like like late night people, you yeah. mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, because people the the public likes Conan, but the industry had a problem with Conan. Like they didn't think he was sellable. Like he he was too goofy and too hokey uncomfortable i guess in a way mm -hmm. um and always had regular guests that they that the networks didn't think were good for the mainstream like he always had norm mcdonald on even when norm wasn't even promoting anything he'd have norm on he've had uh um some of these comics who were big but they weren't huge until you know they were on conan louis ck his airplane bit you know sure. blew the fuck up and that really helped louis bill burr his appearances became, you know, Bill was a big name, but that really helped Bill. Um, the uh, Bill Hader stuff when he was doing the impressions and then people were making the deep fake videos of oh, his yeah. impressions when Pacino, they would turn his face yeah. into Pacino and to Arnold and that blew up. So Conan was on the forefront of a lot of this stuff, despite the fact that the media or the networks weren't really seeing all this stuff because they kept looking at, well, it's not 1130. It's not stephen colbert it's not leno it's not fallon it's not all these things which by the way i think those shows are dead oh yeah with this uh -huh. strike going on they can't and you you can't they could go on like leno went on during the last strike because he was writing the monologue himself but um and then you had the guests now you have the actor strike so even if these shows wanted to go back on without the writers if they could improv it which they should would show their comedic skills you know just going and hanging <laughs> out like a radio show does they can't even get guests anymore now. Like you can't have anybody on to promote. So That's true. when those shows come back, they're dead. They've been off the air for too long. And mm. it's not going to look like until maybe the fall. If right. that, if it comes back, I think late night is dead. Like nobody was caring about it to begin with in the nobody last several years. Under they the were watching 60. Well, they, they were watching it on uh viral well, like clips. For, like for fat. Yeah. Like for Fallon, yeah. his whole show was shot in segments to be YouTube clips. Mm -hmm. And that's where they were caring about YouTube. They weren't giving a shit about what was going on at 11. Like the fact that Tonight Show has been number two for the longest time, they didn't give a fuck. That would have been devastating to NBC uh, when Leno still had the show, when Carson still had the show, when Letterman was on late night, when Letterman was on late show. That would have been devastating to networks. Now it doesn't matter. It's like how they do the next day on On Demand. Oh, that, that thing that he did with... Uh, you know, he did another tight pants clip with Will Ferrell and everything. That got 15 million views the next morning. That's all they give a shit about. Well, it's the accessibility of it, right? Like, I don't <laughs> yeah. have to tune in at the exact moment. I could tune in what I want, and sure. my view's still going to count. So that's, accessibility is so much more appealing than just straight creativity. And, and, and unfortunately, that's another one of my loves, my passions that's dying out. I loved late night television. Like I loved morning radio. I loved talk radio. I loved I was watching Letterman as a kid when he was late night, 1230. I would sneak down and and watch him uh, after my dad went to bed. Like I'd go down there and I'd watch Letterman and uh, grew up Letterman on late night, Letterman on uh, late show on CBS. Conan came around. Uh, John Stewart had a, a talk show for a little bit on MTV before he got to yeah. daily show status. And uh, 
you know, I loved late night. I loved morning radio. And in a lot of ways, they go hand in hand with the way everything was run. Now, name a morning radio show that anybody can think of, you know, who's listening to anything. I mean, look, I, I do stuff. Um, Elvis Duran, mm-hmm. good friends with all of them and stuff like that. He's on 90 something markets across the country. He's known, but you don't have any of other, sh- like if once he goes away, who's going to replace him? Ryan Seacrest, nobody, everyone knows his name, but who's listening to his show? Nobody <laughs> can quote anything from a Ryan Seacrest clip, you know? Um, what do you morning see, radio's not there, late night's not there. What do you see as the future of talk radio? Because I'm of the opinion that talk radio has a way brighter future than, say, music. Because no one's listening to the radio for music. It's um, my pod. I've said for, for years, when um, you're going back at least a decade or so what Pandora was really the first kind of music streaming thing that you could use in the office. Um, and I only heard about it from people who worked uh, in the sales department or in other places that weren't in the, on the radio side, they were on the corporate or the business side, they would stream Pandora at their desks and it had ads oh, yeah. and stuff like that, but you could pick your music or after listening for a while was where the algorithm stuff started. It's like, Oh, you like these bands or these artists? Here's some other suggestions. And that's where it was going. And when I started to see what this was, I'm like, it was in our, in front of us the entire time. You just needed to visualize it. Radio is just somebody's playlist. Yeah. So if you're in the car and you're like, you're hoping the days like you'd call to request a, a song and hoping that they would get it on. If you got on and they said, yeah, sure, we'll play that now. You want to do the lead up for it? And they would put you on the air. It was because it was already on their playlist, you yeah. know, that it was coming up. So it just worked out that way. People would call for songs all the time. and like, all right, we'll try to get on. They weren't going to ever. They never play your songs. Right. That's never how it's it worked. But now that the public could see this is somebody's playlist. Like, look. You have your brother, your sister, other family members, good friends. You trust their opinion on things. But if they, if your best friend sent you a playlist, like, hey, I think you'd li- you'd love this, you might listen to it. But sometimes it sits on your phone. You go, I don't really want to listen to somebody else's playlist. There's just some kind of stigmatism. Like, I don't care how great this person is or we go to concerts together all the time. We love the same bands. My I don't want to listen to their playlist. So the fact that people then could see you get in the car, you're now listening to somebody's playlist that you can't skip and you can't change. You go, why would I sit here and listen to the, oh, you know, oh, look, I like that new Miley Cyrus song that's on right now. I'm listening to it. That's not going to be on for another hour. What else are they playing? It's like, I've heard this song a million times. I heard this song a million times. I don't like this song. I don't want to listen to it. Screw it. You just take your phone, pop it in. You got your Spotify, you got your Apple music, any of that stuff there. And, and you listen to it. So, I always said, it's like, who gives a shit about music radio? It used to be the fix when your station was, if you had a, a talk station that was going under or something was going on, classic rock. That used to be, switch it to classic rock. That's the instant fix. Or uh, in certain markets, Spanish. Spanish music, Spanish talk. Those were the big fixes for radios until you could figure out another format. Oh, this station's going to flip format. Okay, what are they going to do? Well, it's going to be right between... Uh, the 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 adult CHR of PLJ and then Light FM. We're gonna get the slice right in the middle. Wait a minute, those two stations are almost the same thing, except this one plays some dance music and this one doesn't. You're gonna try to wedge in between there, so like so. You're gonna get a percent and then try to get in between a percent to get that little niche audience. Like they kept micro focusing these stupid fucking formats, 
It's like, well, there's no country station in New York. There's no alternative rock station in New York. Why don't you do that? Oh, nobody wants to listen to it. Yeah, but there's no format. You're going to try to do what everybody else is doing and hoping you're going to get some money off of it. Meanwhile, there's this thing available. Untapped there's no talk market. station. Yeah, there's nothing there. So they don't do that. Music radio, not helping. Nobody gives a shit about music radio anymore because you can go and it's so easy to just get your own stuff. You got to support personalities. And like you were saying about talk radio, it does have a good future, but the companies need to take a chance on it again. Mm -hmm. And they're not doing that right now because they're doing, they've, they've lost too much money. Mm -hmm. um, our old company is now th three times renamed. It's, th it's a, uh, it's called Odyssey. Now it used to be uh, intercom before that it was CBS radio. Before that it was infinity, mm -hmm. infinity where ONA and Howard started. And, uh, you know, just changed its name to CBS radio when they switched it in the division under Viacom, that station got D um, that company got delisted off the stock exchange a few months ago. It fell. It was below 16 cents and then got delisted. It's not even available for trade right now. It's a public company that can't be traded <laughs> because it's not on the stock exchange. Uh -huh. IR radio is down hovering around $3 and that's the biggest company in That's the United everything. States for, for, uh, for radio. They're all doing terrible. They don't have money to do anything. All the stations um, in smaller to medium markets are being voice tracked by people out of New York, Chicago, and LA, maybe Dallas. You, everybody in, in the office, you go in there, they're like, hey, you want to voice track some stations? Like everybody's voice tracking stations. Like you, the day you would like, I'm going to put you on four different stations across the country would have been like, that's fantastic. Now it's like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Why not? Well, you're paying me 30 bucks a, a shift. Yeah. So what? I don't, that's not worth my time or my money. Right. Well, if you don't do it, somebody else is going to take it. Give it to somebody else. I don't care. <laughs> like they don't understand why you're saying no. It's like you're, you're passing up this opportunity. No, you're passing up, you know, cheap labor that I don't want to do. My time is more valuable on a Saturday to, to sleep in or hang out with my kid or do whatever. We thank you for get being here. You're right. At 6am <laughs> or here. Yeah. Um, and then voice tracking to get something on in Nashville, you know, what is voice or, or North Carolina sorry, at 10am. I don't know what that is. The what? What is voice tracking? I don't know what that is. Oh, voice tracking is, um, you get a three, four hour, slot on a radio station and you see the playlist and you go okay i can talk in this point this point this point and you're doing back selling from hey this is what you heard uh here's what's going on in your area uh, here's some national news of update uh here's some tickets we're giving away for this concert coming to your area uh here's the next song that's all it is wow. so, you're so the host. in a half an hour you can bang out a four-hour show on a smaller market somewhere okay. uh, that doesn't have people to do it anymore. So that's the big thing now. It's like, oh, this will be cost effective. We'll get people in the major markets to voice track on all these other stations for, you know, pennies. And then we don't have to pay people in those, in those markets to be on the air, to be local, to do all of this stuff. Um, these, these companies don't have any money anymore. So it's on the verge of, of collapsing at some point when, the, the guard in a lot of these uh, corporations, they're just getting ready. They're just spinning the plates enough so that once they get their payout and they're gone, they don't give a fuck if the th whole thing collapses. And like, well, so I got out of time. A future where there is no transmitters anymore. There's no broadcast radio. Not anytime soon. No, that that will never go away, at least anytime soon. Like th some places are, are turning off the AM frequencies because they're not worth um, the money up. keeping uh, up anymore they're not worth the keeping the signal going so they sell if they can't get people to buy the signals or buy the license to that station they just turn them off 
And then, you know, then like, oh, we're feeding you through digital or we're, we're going to switch. That's why so many AMs are relaying on FMs now mm-hmm. uh, in New York. There's one, two, three. I didn't even know that. Four, there's four AM stations that relay on FM. Uh, WFAN, the big sports station yep. in New York, is on an FM signal. 1010 wins, which the back news. in the day was the biggest rock station in the country that became the biggest news station in, 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 the, in the country uh, back in the 70s. Um, is now on our old frequency and Howard's old frequency, 92.3 in New York. So it's 10.10 wins at 92.3. So if you're not listening on AM, you just pop on the FM and there's the AM station. Um, there's like one or two others that are also simulcasting on uh, on FMs and stuff because the signal's better. Now, the, the AM signal goes farther. Like if you have if you have a strong AM signal, you could go at night. You could be down in, in Maryland and in Virginia and pick up WABC or WFAN. <laughs> Uh, that's great back in the day, but now that everything's online and digital connected, you don't need to hopefully get the right tuner that I can hear a New York station <laughs> four states away when I can just hit an app and, and now it's streaming. So yeah. they throw it to the FM because it's a better signal for the local areas, but the AMs are going to go away at some point, except for like emergency services and and, and uh, maybe NPR where they need to have a national line out there for some stuff. For but when the everything else comes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. It's like, <laughs> hey, you're fucked coast to coast. Uh, I'm in my studio here. Uh, good luck to you, everybody. Um, you're doing all of that stuff. The FMs will be around for a while. I think radio only survives when these big companies have to collapse and we have to go back to how it was like in the 70s. And I'm not saying that it was better back then, but I'm saying the business model needs to rebuild or restructure where they it has to become more local. Well, they not even that like it, the ownership has to become more local. Mm-hmm. It can be a national chain, but it's still got to be lo- like local owners on it. Uh, like if iHeart falls apart, right? They got to start selling off stations for whatever reason. You need people to come and buy these stations like uh, insurance companies, eccentric millionaires, somebody who's buying it to have it as part of a portfolio or really believes in radio and, and does all this stuff. The goofiest but most accurate example, WKRP in Cincinnati, if you remember that show, yes. yeah. was owned by a rich old lady, and the guy, his, her son was the GM. He was a bumbling goof who ran the radio station and took a chance on a rock format, and, and it worked and what have you. But it was one owner of that station. You're going to need to go back where you have – you only own one or two stations or maybe three, maybe three – where you can focus on what you have. You can actually compete what they call the term across the street because across the street is now four studios down the hallway um, because that company owns seven stations. And the other seven stations are literally across the street at the other corporation over there. And we kind of have some backroom deals. So we don't fight with that, that company and we don't fight with the other stations that we own. So there's no real competition to compete there's no incentive you shrink these things down where you can actually compete again people take chances get creative hey you want to make a whole you know how they used to stunt with a new radio station this station's going 24 hours polka and you're like what and it's playing polka music for the weekend and then all of a sudden the new station launches on monday you're like oh it was a stunting thing but maybe you stunt it and then you go guess what we're keeping this it's all salsa music with some you know um you know uh, heritage spanish talk and, sure. and all of that and you go 
who the fuck's listening to that? Well, there's a big Spanish community here that seems to be enjoying it. So they're not being serviced. Why don't we do that? Why don't we bring back this rock station? Why don't we do some weird shit? Let's bring back some talk personalities or morning personalities that companies aren't paying for anymore. Let's bring these people back and do let them do what they do. That's yeah. the only way this business is going to survive. It's, you got to support these personalities. Be creative. It's like yeah. a UHF. Remember the Weird Al movie? I would exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that like I would love to see creative. a board meeting where we go in and they go, "Who hired this guy? I thought you hired this guy." And the guy's throwing poodles out the window, you know, and he's <laughs> licking a turtle and it's sticking to the ceiling. You know, it's like, hey, how about that? How did he get in here? I don't know. Somebody let him in, and well, he's now ours, so we got to deal with. It. I would love for that day. Like, who put this guy on at night? I thought you hired him. I don't know. He just showed up. I think you need to pair it with the streaming services. Because yeah. if you get like a streamer on YouTube where like like the movie that we were reviewing, you have people calling in on YouTube. People can just pay for a super chat. That's the equivalent of calling in. Only you right. have it by the thousands and you're making $20, $20 $30 per chat. Why mm. would I go to the radio station where I could just make more individually? But if you pair the two where it's like, oh, we're on radio and streaming, you get best of both worlds. But nobody's yeah, really doing that. It's At very creative. Front. It's very niche to do it that way and it's very very narrow of your audience even though you're technically available to the world online people just don't accidentally find things that easy mm. if you're in a car Telling and you're, you're playing with the bandwidth <laughs> and, and uh, you accidentally land on a station or if you rented a car and it was on a station that the previous rent renter had left on and you're like oh this isn't too bad whatever there's more chances of discovering stuff that way than you could be doing great stuff, but if the algorithm isn't um, liking your settings or, or your your keywords and phrasing and all that stuff, it's not showing you anywhere. And you could have the greatest shit going on or the best interviews or whatever you're doing, and you're still losing to the girl that's half naked in an inflatable pool with right. a palm tree that she's writing people's names on because they paid $200 or more to have their <laughs> name written in a black Sharpie on an inflatable palm tree while she accidentally falls into the pool and she's wet again. You know, that's on the front page of Twitch or YouTube or and that stuff. And like, well, how am I going to compete with that? You're not. You're just going to hope you can find an audience that's going to sustain you. We tried the palm tree thing with Ann. Yeah. It didn't take. No, didn't take. We didn't yeah. use enough oil. That's yeah. what my opinion. Um, also, I think the electrical equipment with the water doesn't help. Either, <laughs> so I have a completely off topic question. Please do. Do you remember when you had the movie writing software? Whatever happened what? to your script? Oh, About the movie. The, the oh, time traveling um, kid who goes and works in radio. <laughs> no, he doesn't go work in radio. No, I never really revealed. I, I wrote that. And I actually talked with some people that um, uh, up until recently um, that were looking to entertain optioning it. Really? So, yeah, it's it's done. It. It's done. Uh, it, it still needs some work, like because I wrote what I knew. And, and you know who gave me the best advice? Kevin Smith. Mm -hmm. I talked to him for a little bit about it because he if he if anybody knows how to just crank something out and just say, hopefully this, you know, we'll throw it against the wall and this sticks. This is the guy that could, uh, I have access to, and he could give sure. me some kind of pointer. So he gave me some advice and, uh, he's just like, write whatever you want. And he goes, you don't have to worry about, he's like, there's programs to help you format it, but you don't have to whittle everything down. If you got the general idea and the concept, they'll bring people in to help you refocus it and reshape it and whatever. And he goes, you don't need to constantly keep doing that. 
Um, Kevin does it because he's been in that business for so long. He can do it himself. So when he goes back and rewrites his stuff again, he knows what he's doing. If I'm just doing it for the first time, he's like, just get it out there. Make you got to write it down. That's the biggest thing. So uh, years ago, I wrote a lot of it down and it's got to the point. I think the ending needs some work, but um, the whole concept's there. And I think it's very marketable considering what else is involved with it. So it's just it's, it's there. It's done. Um, I just I've never talked about it ever other than that one little time. Right. Yeah. I've <laughs> never given any details and anyone who's ever asked. um that's it. So that's all I've ever said about it. If it never sells, that's fine. I don't care. I would love for it to sell, no, but I will never see it. <laughs> I will never put it out there because if one day it sells and it and it goes and this is a pipe dream, but you know if it ever sells on that go, I'm glad I never fucking said anything because now there's the finished product. So. Does Jim Norton still have his own character? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm sure if Jimmy, look, when you write something, you're not in charge of casting, but you can put in your notes like I'm seeing this person as this or the characters based on this person or this person. Yeah. He's a Jim Norton type. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need to cast a Jim Norton type, but not Jim Norton. Yeah. Like, what can we do here? Uh, no. Yeah, I wouldn't. You're never up to casting. So I would love to have Jim be in it. I'd love to have Jim be in any of my projects. That would be fantastic. Mm. <laughs> But yeah, that thing's done. It's sitting somewhere, but uh, maybe one day it'll see the light of day. Um, yeah. I guess you really we, are super fans. That is oh, weird. absolutely. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm ridiculous. Yeah, he's hardcore. <laughs> I'm I'm a filthy casual. I got to be honest. Yeah, that's fine. I that's I'm, I'm more than happy to hear. Like, yeah, I kind of knew of your show. I didn't really listen to it. Perfect. I'll hang out with you tonight. Um. <laughs> We are supposed to say what we thought of the movie in finality, right? Yeah. yeah. So why it. don't why don't we do that? Okay. Sure. Um. Oh, you know, I did have one last question. It's kind of a dumb question. So in the movie, he's getting syndicated. Wouldn't that mean like exponentially more money? Oh yeah. Yeah. It'd be, like uh, again, that's why I was it. saying it wasn't realistic because the company that you work for, that local station doesn't negotiate your deal for you to be syndicated. It works in in um, conjunction with what you're doing, where the station needs to – the syndicator is a separate company, which is that guy Dietz who came in. He's the syndicator. I think he was out of Chicago, they said, or something. Um, they're the big company that handles the syndication. They get the rights to the property, and then they do the licensing to uh, – to different uh, stations across the country. They, it's called clearance. They clear out your uh, your time slots and or if you're going to be recorded and aired at different times. They handle all that stuff. The station, the company you work for, at least at that time, gets a part of the deal where the syndicator is paying the local station for producing the show. The host then works for the syndicator, not necessarily the station. Like when Howard was at K-Rock and he had to listen to Tom Chiasano, um, Tom was the boss of some of the staff, but Tom wasn't technically Howard's boss. Howard's boss was Mel Carmazan because Infinity was syndicating Howard's show in-house. So the syndication wing, which I think was Westwood One at the time, um, was handling Howard's stuff. So even though he had to listen to Tom because he was on Tom station in New York, he really didn't. Like he had entertained Tom. That's why he had Tom on the air because – other people, other GMs would not come on the air. 
Tom was just a different breed. And I worked for him for a few years. Nice guy. But I could start to see like, all right, I see why people were getting crazy with this with this guy. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so he had a different boss in the movie. His boss would have been I forgot Alec Baldwin's character's name, but he that was the GM of the station. He would still would have been him for certain things like his staff definitely would have been uh, like John McGinley and, and that girl. Were you, a John, been, you were John C. McGinley, basically. Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah. Well, our deals were a little different because we also had satellites. So I kind of had like different contracts, different bosses, different mm-hmm. agreements uh, here and there, depending on what it was. So Did you ever yell at the talent like him. <laughs> no, I've yelled at O and A, but I mean, you, some went good, some went bad. You know, it's all out there. You can you can see like that. But I used to yell at uh, uh, like O and A would yell at the bosses, uh, the corporate bosses, and then you know Steve or, or myself or somebody would have to deal with them um, after they left. Like fuck, now we got to deal with with these guys because no, they can't yell at O and A, but they're gonna come and yell at us because that's what they can do. Uh, yeah, we've Speaking dealt with Steve. Uh, yeah, that little series you did i think it was about a year ago where you kind of put out a best of thing yeah almost a year ago for his uh his 10 year anniversary was last year right that was beautiful that was great thanks man i appreciate that i was uh i was thinking i've always liked steve i know there's staff and stuff that love to talk shit about steve and whatever steve was not meant to be in that position when ben got fired steve had to take the spot and Steve wasn't meant to be in that spot. And Steve should not have been let go either. The company should not have been let go. Um, there's different stories as to why Steve was let go, but Still. we all have a feeling there was one real reason why he was let go. Steve should have been moved back to production. And we had Derek at the time doing all that stuff. We could have had two. Like we could have had Derek and Steve. Uh, like Steve could have been in charge of the channel stuff where was that Derek before was- Troy. Yeah, long before Troy, um, that uh, Derek could have been running, you know, stuff uh, during the live show at the moment, you know, quick turnaround stuff. Derek could have done that while Steve was overseeing the station, Ron and Fez, Opie and Anthony, all that stuff with their production, their imaging, all that stuff. And even taken on other stations for doing that. Steve should have been moved back to production and kept in the fold here. Steve should not have been let go. Mm. But, uh, you know, such is the case. The 10-year anniversary was coming up, and I was thinking about it last year, and I was like, you know, I can't believe 10 years. And I still talk to his wife now and then, and um, I was like, you know what? I have all the archives. I have everything. Let's make something. Let's try to figure out how to do this. So I went through, and I just was finding all the best bits. I was going through hard drives of production. I'm like, what can I put together that makes sense? Do little montages. And then reached out to people and said, "Hey, would you be a part of this?" And uh, pretty amazing, you were able to. Everybody who, that was a part of it, you know, obviously agreed to be a part of it, and whoever wasn't, uh, wasn't. So we we got everybody there together in different. We couldn't get everybody together at once. That would have been great, but we did it in in little segments um, for all the different staff members and and the hosts and stuff. And. Uh, uh, I was trying to, I hope I did him justice. I thought it came out pretty good the way everything so. was put together. And then uh, when his wife uh, saw some of the stuff I was making and she agreed to come on at the end, uh, I thought it was pretty cool too. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that she was willing to talk about it and, and everything, and then uh, that she's doing all right, that his son is doing all right. And uh, you know, they're in better places than they were during that time uh, living their lives. They didn't forget him. The son still, um, is uh 
aware of his dad, knows of his dad and stuff like that. And we have an open communication that if he ever wants anything or whatever, I'll gladly give it all to him. <laughs> That's great. Great. <clears throat> so but dad, thank you for thank you for checking that out. Um, oh, yeah. If you want to know what we're talking about, it's uh, just search on YouTube. Uh, uh, it's either Steve C or Steve Carlisi 10th uh, anniversary. I think that was the title. It's three mm-hmm. parts, three long term. I can link uh, it. Long the, parts uh, like there. Yeah, yeah. You can find them on we'll YouTube. Yeah. yeah, definitely. That'd be great. Um, so the movie. Brain. So final thoughts on the movie. Typically, we rate it between yeah. one and ten. Uh, I happen to like this movie. I think it's well directed. I like the pace. The acting's great. Yeah. I'm going to go with an eight. Really? That's very high. That's yeah, high. I really like this movie a lot. <laughs> I think it's good. You know what? No, nah, you got it's a little too high. I'll go seven and a half. Seven, seven and, and a half. half. <laughs> okay, take the half. Look, I'll be honest. I was thinking an eight myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm usually not that big a fan of uh, Oliver Stone movies. Like he, he's very hit or miss with, with to, for my own taste of, of what I like and what I don't. Um, but I like the cast. I love anything John C. McGinley. I'm a big fan of his. Um, I, like I said earlier, the the studios were done right. The station was done right. It was very accurate. Um, it was a different time for talk radio, but it looks fantastic. It still holds up. Um, not even though that like boards change in the studio or the microphones are still sort of the same. The headset he walked was wearing with the mouthpiece when he walked around still the same things that you would see like on, uh, basketball and football when they're wearing those pieces, it's that's the equipment's not outdated. It still looks like it could be of this time. Um, I think that as a lot to the score that it does hold up and it does reflect a a uh, time period of that genre where shit was crazy before they started to uh, regulate and reel it in and syndicate like syndicating reeled in a lot of that stuff when they were just local hotspots mm-hmm. so in anything spirit went it's yeah, the spirit accurate. was there um yeah and, and and even the ending like you knew he something was going to happen because everybody was threatening him like the guy at uh again when he was on the floor at the, i didn't forget what the sporting event where he's in he's that at gym. basketball yeah and the guy comes over and he goes god bless you or god it's gonna be seeing you soon i forgot what the line is but he's just staring at yeah, him a little yeah, bit yeah. while he looked away and he's just staring at him then he kind of pulled back and you're like oh that something's gonna happen here uh it doesn't but you know it, that it's coming and then there's too many swerves like is it gonna be the the metal guy is it gonna be this lady is it gonna be this and then you know who apparently the guy was a stand-up comic the one who did it because Eric Bogosian, I guess, was doing comedy too at the time, and uh, the guy who kills him at the end is a stand-up comic. And his, his oh, nickname, actor. yeah, his nickname or his stage name is Rockets. Last name Red Glare. And you go, <laughs> oh, that is such a You're fucking fuck cornball. Sounds thing. like Chip. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think it holds up to what it was supposed to do. So I think an eight is fair with that. All right high school right, what do you guys say um i like the movie a lot um i know steve is big into the one room movies uh, yeah yeah but uh there's a little bit of self-importance to the whole thing you know it's it's taken yeah i know he's dealing with heavy topics but at the same time it's like all right you're a guy on the radio it's it, i don't know there's something about the whole thing that he that he's preaching a little too took much. Took himself ser- more seriously than he should have. Mm. Well, that's the character. That's the character. Yeah, yeah, you know what? It works. It all works. <laughs> I don't think. I don't I'm, think I'm anything out of, out of my own gripes. Um, I don't think anything about the character was out seven. of place. Like I don't think he started here and then went. He became something completely different mm-hmm. towards the end, which happens in a lot of current 
day movies where it's like, wait, you started from here and I get a progression that somebody has a change of heart or becomes more human or something like that. It's a growth story. This wasn't a growth story where they put him as a fish out of water or, the, or he changed for the wrong reasons or stuff. He stayed who he is, but they also, it also revealed how insecure and scared he was when he, he used to, he just yeah. would do these things where his eyes got wide and his, he'd make like this half smile and you go, he's a scared little boy, but he's trying to be this big gruff, whatever. Uh, it was very revealing. So uh, yeah, I think he stayed very true to the character and what they were going. In for. many ways, mm -hmm. the movie I was actually kind of reminded of the most watching at this time is Clerks, believe it or not, where it's like almost a day in the life of work. Like all these incidents are happening. He's interacting with all these like customers at the end. He has like his big speech, you know, about how he hates them. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, so yeah, I, I was I was at like hovering around a five until that speech. So I think the speech when he breaks down and yells at his audience. That's a great and, scene. Uh, it's so telling of his character and why like this happened and what he was facing. Historically, seems pretty accurate too. Yeah. So I get 6.5 is pretty much where I went only because it wasn't um, as grandeur of a story. So I can't go the full like eight, nine ish, but pretty accurate. It was a little boring at times. You know, you thought so. I, I also think, think so. he he's very hateable. Oh yeah, and it's yeah, he purpose, is hateable. You know? But it's a, it's a it's a very cerebral movie in the sense of like a like you were saying, Clerks, like a Kevin Smith thing. It's very dialogue heavy rather yeah. than events around it happening. It's all playing out through dialogue. Um, it, it it maintains that it doesn't lose it doesn't uh, lose what it, it was supposed to be. It stays consistent mm -hmm. through the whole movie and you don't have that a lot anymore. And also the language that was used in that thing was done was nobody even flinched at it back in the day. I'm sure if they were in the theaters when they were dropping the, the mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the juice slurs or the N word and all that stuff in there. Like it was just kind of thing. Now when you watch it, I actually flinched a little bit cause I forgot about <laughs> that part. I'm like, what? Oh, wow. Have you okay. seen this many, many times? I haven't seen this movie in decades. Like I just rewatched it because we were doing this and I was I, like, I barely remembered anything of it. So I was, it was like, I was watching it for the first time again. Mm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What did you give it at? I gave it a seven, seven. Okay. Yeah. So we're hovering around the same area. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, thank you. E -Rock. That yeah. just about wraps us up. I want to thank you, sir, for joining us. This has been a joy. And, Sorry. It uh, went so long. Oh no! Oh, this we, is average. This is, this is most average. of our shows are a hundred and a hundred, an hour and a half. Um, so <laughs> this was great. Yeah. Uh, you're welcome back anytime you like. Thank you. And is there anything you'd like to promote? Um, yeah, you could uh, find my show. It's Eric Nagel on uh, iHeartRadio through the iHeartRadio app, uh, or uh, anywhere you find your stuff on demand. Apple, Spotify, all those places. And uh, the video version of the radio show you can find on YouTube. It's all produced there. And because of uh, YouTube being YouTube, a lot of the parts tend to get edited because you got rights cleared on the radio side, but you don't get them cleared on the YouTube side. So if you see some jumps like, hey, I thought we were watching that movie trailer. Yeah, well, you could go. You got our commentary, but you can go watch the movie trailer yourself because YouTube seems to not understand that. Oh, that's not a reaction video. That is blatant copyright and we're going to give all the money to them don't go fuck yourself we'll just uh cut it all out and not do that so uh the video versions on youtube the audio versions anywhere you find podcasts on demand stuff and uh, uh since you're also in uh my pal's uh 
office there, studio, <laughs> if you will. The great Tell Em Steve Dave, available yes. on uh, podcasts, uh, Patreon, and uh, the YouTube channel. We're trying to get... Uh, I was talking with Brian Johnson today. We're trying to get some stuff set up at his place because I really am pushing him to do more, uh, to do any game streaming because I think oh, him God. doing game streaming on the, on the <laughs> Tell Him Steve Day where he's losing his shit because right now he's like, I'm playing Plants vs. Zombie, the dumb phone game. <laughs> it's like, there's other games I know you play and you get mad. He goes, yeah, but I throw the controller. I'm like, that's what people are going to pay for. Get mad oh, yeah. at, at these stupid games. You'll cl- You'll bank off these super chats and all that. So we're working to get him on there. Uh, but yeah, support Tell Him Steve, Dave. Support It's Eric Nagel. And definitely support uh, you guys here. You have all you can plug all your stuff. It's your show. Why yeah. should I do that? <laughs> Brett's Brian. You're up. Uh, this is my this is my part. All right. Uh, I want to give a thank you to everybody listening and or watching. Like, subscribe, give us a review on Apple Podcasts, helps potential sponsors find the show. Like and subscribe. Click the bell because YouTube doesn't promote us in the algorithm. So you got to click the bell to get notifications. Thanks to Tell Him Steve, Dave, Brywalt, Q, get him, get him, let us record down in the studio. Thank you to our guest, E-Rock, Eric Nagel. See you next time, guys. Bye. Love you, Thanks. miss you. <laughs> <laughs>